0: making Sunday possible for Pastor's Appreciation, for all the work that went into that. Um, it was definitely a great time Sunday. Pastor Justin preached a word, and uh, it was an on-time word and a needed word and spoke a blessing, and I'm thankful for all God's doing here at Covenant. Amen? Amen. I'm glad what he's doing elsewhere, too, but I'm glad what he's doing right here at Covenant. Um, I, I want to share with you just, uh, if you don't already, follow us on social media, um, take an opportunity to to share the services. Um, I know a lot of people that go here do, but I just wanted to throw that in there because it's beneficial to get the word out because when you share it, it's on someone else's page and then they share it and then it's on someone else's page and then all of a sudden we're spreading the word and that's what it's all about, just spreading the word. If they never come here to church, it's fine. We've spread the word, right? So I'm gonna start tonight and I'm gonna take us on a journey through the book of Job um, acres of diamonds. How many of you know that God is a God of expectation? He's a God of expectation, not just your expectations, just expectation of my expectations, of your expectations, of their expectations. He moves on expectation. And I want to start off with this, this story here of a young man, um, just to give you a reference point to start with, it's, it's written in the Acres of Diamonds book, and it's, it's a fantastic little rendition of sometimes when something isn't what we expect, what do we do with it, right? Um, a young man from an affluent and notable family was just a few months away from graduating high school, and he made clear to his dad that he wanted a sports car as his graduation gift, something that was fast and flashy. All of the other parents in the neighborhood had purchased vehicles for their children upon graduation, and so he assumed that his mom and his dad would do the same. He also knew that they had the money for it. He and his dad spent months looking for cars, hopping from one dealership to the next until they finally found the perfect one. And when graduation day came, The father asked his son to come into his office and when the young man walked in he noticed a beautifully wrapped package with a red bow on it and the father smiled and he pushed the gift across the desk towards his son and he said this is my graduation present to you and the son was confused this is not what he had expected where was the sports car He unwrapped the gift, and he took the lid off the box, and inside was a Bible. He got so mad. He put the lid back on the box, and he pushed it back across the desk to his dad. He said, thanks, dad, with sarcasm, and he stormed out of the room. It made him so upset, and I think he had a little bit of a problem, but it made him so upset that he decided to just pack his stuff and leave the house. He didn't want anything to do with him anymore. So he left, and he never came back. Years later, he got the news that his father had passed away. So naturally, it brought him to the place to return home. And he goes in, and he sits down at his father's desk, looking as the same office it did before. And he goes to rummage through all of the paperwork, and his eyes fell on his father's gift that he had had in the office there, the Bible. He picked it up and just started naturally flipping through the pages, and then suddenly a check fell out. And it was a check for the exact amount of the car that he wanted for graduation. The son had rejected his father's gift because it was not packaged in the way that he expected. Wouldn't you hate to miss out on an incredible gift or an opportunity because it's not packaged the way you expected it to be? We expect diamonds to show up in a black velvet box with a red bow on it, but in fact, they would never come from black velvet boxes. They come from dirt. Diamonds come from the ground. They come from being exposed to heat and pressure and time. Diamonds do not come from the jewelry store. So I want to start out by letting you know that God takes delight And playing in the dirt. I'm going to talk tonight on dirt and diamonds. We look at the beginning of God's word in Genesis and God's playing in the dirt immediately. In creation when there was nothing he spoke and it became something. And then all of a sudden as he's creating from nothing and and creates something, he decides to create man from what? The dust of the earth, correct? He starts playing in the dirt. It's in the dirt that he tells us to plant and sow so we can reap. It's in the dirt that we find the foundation for a harvest to be planted. It's in the dirt that the woman was caught in the act of adultery and thrown down into at the feet of Jesus. And it's in the dirt that Jesus gets off of their level and onto hers and writes in the sand. Things happen in the dirt. It's in the dirt that we see Joseph as he's thrown into the pit, as he makes his way from the pit to the palace, but he started in the dirt. And it's in the dirt that we find our friend here, Job. So I'm going to take you on an adventure through Job tonight, and and we're going to talk about diamonds and dirt. I want to remind you that when you feel like you're surrounded by dirt and wasteland, you're actually surrounded by the perfect opportunity to grow diamonds. I'm going to start in the book of Job. If you, have your word, if you have your Bible, you can follow along with us. And I'm going to flip through. We're going to take an adventure. Just bear with me. If we start at the beginning here in the book of Job, I'm going to tell you a few things about Job. Job. To understand the book of Job, you need to first understand the relevance that it has for your life today. It can it can be relevant on so many different levels. If you just take the scriptures that are found within, it's historically the first book written in the Bible. So it's technically the oldest. It's dated the oldest book of the Bible. And I don't think that's by accident because I believe that it is written first because it serves as precedent for the rest of the stories in the Bible. You can find a sliver of Job in every story of the Bible. It's written with a poetic feel. It's a book filled with God. It's got God's character all the way through it. It's a place where we find God himself speaking and giving us insight into who he is as an as a all-supreme ruler in our lives. Who he is as the one who spoke creation. It shows us into his character and the, the magnitude that he has as our savior, as our redeemer, as our creator, as our everything. So in Job chapter 1, I want us to start there, we find a man who lives in this land called Uz. Yeah, technically they don't know exactly where Oz was in the Bible days, but we know it had a lot of pastures. It's located near a wilderness area. It's close enough to the for the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans to be able to be raided uh, to raid this place. We know that it, it's mentioned in the book of Jeremiah, and so it has to be near Canaan, which is where Abraham lived, which is where the people of, of God would be found right there where Abraham's listed. And so we know that Job starts out with a relationship with God, and it's not by happenstance, because he lives with people in the area who know who God is and so you need to be careful who you surround yourself with Job didn't just fall out of the sky with a relationship with God he lived in the same area as what Abraham would live and so you have this story here that's developed and we just come in in the middle of the book we see here in the scriptures that he's blameless and he's upright he feared God, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The word of, the, God, the word of God said he shunned evil. You see here that he had a large family, seven sons and three daughters. He's wealthy. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen. And a yoke is a pair, so that means he had 1,000 of them. 500 female donkeys. That's a whole farm, I do believe. Had a very large household, which meant he had lots of servants. The Bible says that he's the richest person in the region. So for all intents and purposes, Job's at the top. Can we agree there that Job's at the top? It's not just in terms of wealth that we see that he's at the top. We see he has a spiritual relationship with God because he's called blameless and upright and he has integrity. How many of you know that when you can find someone with integrity, you better hate on to them? Do you know what integrity is? It's who you are when they aren't looking. That's what integrity is. It's who you are when there's nobody around. That's what integrity is. And when you can find someone that is the same, whether you are present or not, hold on to them. Job did all the right things. His family loved him. They'd even take turns preparing feasts in their home. They had parties. They threw down. They had the good afternoon, Sunday lunches together around the table there, Pastor. They would celebrate, and sometimes these celebrations would last several days. The Bible says that Job would actually purify his children. He had a relationship with God, and he would get up early in the morning and offer up sacrifices for each one of them. Notice that he honors God with all that God has given him. I'm going somewhere. We're setting up Job now. He looks good so far. So far, so good. Not only would he sacrifice for his children, but he wouldn't just sacrifice one. The Bible says he would sacrifice ten. He'd get up early in the morning to make his sacrifice. He would offer a sacrifice, and the Bible says that perhaps my children have sinned. It don't even really say that they had sinned. It just said, perhaps they may have, so I'm going to go ahead and cover them anyways. That's what kind of person we're dealing with here. Someone that knows the way to get a sin covered, and and he's just going to cover his family. He loves on them, Pastor. He's just going to just reach out and and cover them anyways. I don't care if if they've sinned or not. I don't really know. It says, perhaps they have sinned, so I'm going to just cover them. But it says here that this was Job's regular practice. I don't want to get hung up here on regular practice, but if you're not careful, regular practice can become religious, but regular practice can also sustain you in a storm. If you go to the gym as a regular practice, you build strength, correct? But if you go to church as a regular practice, sometimes it can make you religious. You think you got to be there when the doors are open, right? Been there, it's done that. Job's living a good life. He's enjoying his life. He's got his wealth. He's got his kids. And the Bible says, then all of a sudden, one day, I want to talk to somebody who's had a one day. There was no nothing in this beginning of this book that tells us that Job is setting himself up for a one day. It says all of a sudden, Job has a one-day moment. And and it's in this one-day moment that the entire world's turned upside down. Has anybody ever been there? Where it just one day, it just one moment. There was nothing that led up to it. It just happened. No way to prepare for it. The Bible says one day something happened. And I want you to get this. One day something happened in the spiritual realm. How do I know it's the spiritual realm? Because all of a sudden there's a conversation taking place between God and the enemy. We can read that in Job. The, the conversation takes place there between God and the enemy. And I want to stop right there and let you know that everything you go through is not always a physical battle. Some things you go through is spiritual. Spiritual. Everything that Job is about to go through, we read at face value as being physical, but it's a spiritual battle. There's something that happened in the spiritual realm first before anything took place in Job's life. Anything that you go through can affect your spirit. A lot of our trials and temptations and troubles that we go through, the storms that rise in our lives, it's not a physical storm. It's a spiritual storm. It's its taking toll on your physical body but it's a spiritual storm there was a conversation that had to be had first before the storm showed up understand that that your battle is not in the in the physical it's in the spiritual Ephesians 6 12 says for we are not fighting against flesh and blood and enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places in the spiritual realm, this conversation takes place. One day in this conversation, I want you to pay attention to this. And, and it's interesting to me because Satan don't do the talking first. If you look in the book of Job, it says that God called out to Satan. and said, what you doing? In this conversation of spiritual realm, you can read it for yourselves. God calls out to Satan and says, what are you doing? And Satan responds and says, I have been patrolling on the earth watching everything that goes on. Uh, Roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, the King James says. I like this version right here. It says, I've been patrolling the earth. Before we go any further, this teaches us something. Satan is not omnipresent. He has to go to and fro. He got to go over here and then go over there. He can't be over here and over there at the same time. He can't be at my house, Sister Tina, and at your house at the same time. So if he's over here battling with me and all up in my business, and then he can't be over there with you because he's not omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. This says he's going to and fro. God don't have to go to and fro. He's already to and fro. He's already over there and over here, all at the same time. Satan is limited. He has to roam to and fro and seek, meaning that where he is and where he is not, he has to make up for it with all his little demons. I can't be over there at Pastor's house messing with him, so I got to send some some little demon, a little imp over there to bother him, and I got to go over here and handle this. And I can't be two places at one time. Your enemy is limited. This part right here is what I want you to pay attention to. And then the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? This version said, have you noticed him? Have you noticed my servant Job? And I like this right here because God says he is the finest in all the earth. He's blameless and there's none like him. I want you to look at God bragging on his child. I want you to look at what God tells Satan about Job. What does God tell the enemy about you? Does he have conversations on the side about you as his child? What does he say about you to the the enemy? You look here at this conversation and you've got God bragging on his child. He says he's blameless. Have you considered trying him? And I like this part right here, Pastor. It says, Satan responds, yes. Have you considered trying Job? And Satan responds, yes, I have. So you need to give God praise for all the times that Satan considered trying you and he couldn't. All the times he wanted to take you out, but he couldn't. All the times he went knocking at your door, but he couldn't. He had to have permission to do everything he's about to do to Job. And and God said, have you considered Job? And Satan said, yeah, I have. Meaning that he's already analyzed the situation. He knows he can't touch him. Satan has already looked you up and down one time, two times, three times, four times, 55 times this week. And he knows I can't touch him. Can't mess with him. Have you considered my servant Job? And he says, yes, I have. And under God's recommendation... Now, this this is tough teaching and preaching right here. So if you don't like it, you have to take it up with the author of the book. The author of the book put it in here. Under God's recommendation, Satan says, yes, I have considered him, but he has good reason to fear you. It says, you have always. You have always. Satan is talking back to God and said, yeah, I've considered him, but you have always. You have always put a hedge of protection around him. That's what the Bible says. It says, I've considered him, but you have always put a hedge of protection around him. I've been watching him since he was born, but there's always been a hedge of protection. And not only has there been a hedge around him, but the Bible says there's a hedge around him and all that he owns and the belongs to him. So I can't even touch nothing that's associated with Job because the day he was born, you put a hedge of protection around him and I've considered him and I've considered him and I've considered him but you have always put protection around him. Satan says so look how rich he is if you reach out and take everything that he has Surely he'll curse you. Someone say it's a setup. It's a setup. Satan's trying me. It's a setup. If you do this, surely this will happen. Satan wants you to break under pressure, he wants you to give in under pressure. He wants you to give up. That's what he wants. And he's having a conversation in the spiritual realm about you. God says, all right, test him. And then we go. We're about to get started. You need to understand that your problems had permission. Your problems in your life had permission. They had to be asked and talked about first in the spiritual realm. Your problems had permission to come your way because the Bible says no weapon formed shall prosper. So the problem had to have permission to get over to me, but it's not going to prosper. There's a weapon formed, but it's not going to get any ground. It's not going to make me break. The Lord says to Satan, do whatever you want with his possessions, but don't take his life. We're at level one. Somebody say, level one, making a diamond. Level one, making it. It says, don't lay a hand on his life. Everything that you're going through right now has purpose. And then this is where it all goes downhill for Job. This is what we know about Job right here. This is what we talk about when we talk about Job. We talk about everything that he lost. He goes into a storm. He goes into the valley. He goes into the fire, whatever you want to call it. He enters into his wilderness. He goes into a place that you can relate to. Maybe it's someplace you've walked in your own life at one place or another where you feel like you just are not going to make it. And so we enter his one day. One day while they're in their normal routine, the Bible says, it started with his oxen. It started with the thing that supplied his wealth. It started with the thing that sustained his wealth on the physical level. You need to understand that on the physical, not the spiritual. I love this right here. The Bible says that while they were having a normal routine, a messenger arrived. And he says, your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. And when we got raided by the Sabaeans and they stole all the animals and they killed all the servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Now, I think I missed this a couple times while I read over it. But this thing got me yesterday. I about tore my house up. All... The property from the initial attack, everybody was killed. But the Bible says that there's a messenger that says, I'm the only one that escaped. Somebody better recognize the grace of God in this story. There's grace in that one that escaped. I'm going to come back to it. But there's a reason that one escaped. You see, that one's got to hang around to make sure, make sure that the next workers are trained right. God already knew. He already had a plan set in place, Paul. When, when, when Job thought he lost everything, there was one that escaped because God said, I'm going to turn it around later. And you're going to need that one to make sure that all the rest of them trained right and been intentional. In verse 16, It says, while that one, while that messenger was still speaking, it just started a billow effect. It just started one thing after another, one problem after another. Another messenger arrived and says, Now we got two messengers. He says, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. That's what one translation says. And it says again, I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. In verse 17, while that messenger was still speaking, another messenger showed up. He can't get a break. The one can't even hush before the other one is coming. Have you ever felt that way? You can't get ahead before another problem is coming in on the tail end of the one you're already dealing with. I feel like that all the time. Give me one more messenger. I ain't even got off the phone with this one. I done got a text from the other one. That's us. We've, we've been in those situations, right? Another message. Now you've got three messengers. He got more messengers than we got friends. He's got three messengers. A third showed up with this news. Three bands of the Chaldean raiders have stolen all your camels and killed all the servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Someone say grace. grace. Yes, sir, grace. Grace was in that one that escaped. What can God do with the one? He can do a lot with the one he can take the one and multiply it it only took one man to begin this it only took one god to begin this it only took one voice to be it only takes one savior he can do a lot with one and then in verse 18 while he's still speaking another one arrives your sons and your daughters were feasting their regular practice They're feasting in the oldest brother's home and suddenly a powerful wind swept through from the wilderness and it hit all the house on all the sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead, but I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. So here we have Job. he's lost all of the physical. And he stands up He tears his robe in grief, shaves his head, and falls on the ground. Someone say, thank God for dirt. This is the first time we see Job on the ground. I'm going somewhere. He falls to the ground to do what? To worship. Have you ever felt like you just got good and standing up? and you're back in the dirt has anyone ever said in here i feel like i've hit rock bottom anybody diamonds are formed in the dirt so it's not a coincidence we see here that job has gone from the top something that we would look at as being wow to the bottom literally in the dirt it's one thing to worship when you stand up pastor it's one thing to praise God when your bills are paid and when your family invites you to eat lunch and then when they call you 50 times a day and when you all are happy and everybody gets to go on vacation and you all love each other it's good to praise God but can you praise him when you had to tear your robe and get down in the dirt can you lift up your hands from the ground that is what's powerful about this is he gets to the place where he's at the bottom and he worships from the dirt the richest man in all the land and he's just hit the bottom it's unexpected you don't expect for the richest man in all the land to literally hit the bottom somebody say thank you jesus for the dirt yes sir thank you jesus for the dirt you got job in the dirt and he's worshiping with a torn robe and while he's down in the dirt everything's gone physically was that not enough was that not enough that 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 was rock bottom right that was the end of the story that was your storm it keeps going job chapter two You got another spiritual conversation that takes place at the beginning of Job chapter 2. I challenge you to go read the book of Job. Job chapter 2. You got another spiritual situation that takes place here. You need to understand that when it didn't work the first time. Satan comes back again for a second time. Same conversation but it's changed just a little bit. Now you have Satan and God are having this conversation. And he says, but a man will give up everything he has to save his life. Wait, wait, wait. You said earlier that if he lost everything, he'd curse you. And now you come back and you went back to the drawing board and you said, well, he, he at least got to live and save his life. So let's try something else. Pastor, I do believe in Daniel chapter three that the heat was turned up seven times hotter. I do believe in Matthew 12:44 to 45, it says, then it says, I will return to the person from which I came. And so it returns and finds a former home empty and swept and in order. And then that spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the one person and they live there. If you want to go study that, it's talking about when you cast something out, it comes back seven times greater. When you stand up against the enemy, it gets seven times hotter. When he comes to Job and he says, you will curse God, and Job doesn't curse God, another spiritual conversation takes place, and Satan's hot. But now we got some heat. We can make diamonds now. You can't make diamonds unless you got some heat. The enemy has this conversation. He says, okay, wealth and possessions don't matter. So now let me go after his health. You see, Satan studied the church for a long time. He knows that people in the church can praise God when all's going well. He knows that when bills are paid and everything's good, everybody shouts. So he says, let me go back to the drawing board and let me take it a little bit different. Let me go and say, let let me get to his health. Let me get to the thing that lives with him every single day. I tried with possessions, but let me go back seven times hotter. I'm so glad you turned up the heat because I'm ready to become a diamond. I'm so glad you had to go back to the drawing board that you thought enough of me, Satan, that you had to go and take your time to come up with another plan to come after me. You say, you crazy talking that way. I am. I've been there. I love this though because in Job chapter 2 God sets a boundary he's always got a boundary he says test him but don't kill him you should have been dead a long time ago but God said test him don't kill him Job finds himself being broken out with terrible boils hits him with a spiritual a physical an emotional all those attacks that we get hit him He scrapes his skin with broken pottery. That's low, Pastor. That's low. You're miserable when you have to break pottery and scrape your skin. We see in verse 8 that he's among the ashes. Uh Uh-oh. He's still in the dirt. He ain't left the dirt. He's still in the dirt. I'm so thankful that he's still in the dirt because we're going somewhere. His wife comes to him and says, Job, just curse God and die. Just give up. He says, "Mm mm-mm. She says, are you still trying to maintain your, are you still trying to be a man of integrity? Let it go. Are you still trying to be blameless, Job? You've got every right to give up. Ain't nobody gone through what you've gone through. Anybody been there? Don't nobody know what I go through. I preached to me, because Job got me out, so I'm going to preach to me. Your integrity is your identity, and she's saying, just give up who you are, oh, Lord. And look who he used to do it, family. Just give up who you are and die. Give up. And he says, I will not. I will not give up and die. Actually, he talks to her her a little bit better than I did. He said, you talk like a foolish woman. Job, you do got integrity. It says in the Bible, in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. I'm thankful for that part. And here comes three of his friends. One, two, and three. Because guess what happens trouble brings crowd you don't believe me get you some trouble post it on facebook and here comes your friends boy these three right here is a crew these three right here show up when they where was you when we were celebrating at my oldest son's house where were you at when we was when we was over sitting on the porch overlooking all the donkey and the oxen? Where were you at? You want to roll up? And the Bible says they got together and came. That means y'all had a conversation I wasn't even present for and decided to come rolling up on my front porch. And the Bible says they come up and they join Job in his trouble. If you can't join me on the mountain, don't come join me in the valley. They got together and traveled. They wanted to confront him, but rather they said a whole lot about something that ended up being nothing. They basically come to Job and they say, well, you had to, Now, listen, friends. The Bible says friends. Uh, you had to do something wrong. You had to have some part in your mess. So repent. Where did y'all three come from? We're talking about blameless and integrity, and you rolling up on my porch talking about repent. I've been there. I did nothing wrong and got thrown in jail for something I didn't do. And I had people saying, you must have done something. And I don't respond like Job does. Blameless, nothing. Integrity, yes, but I will tell you about yourself, too. And I said, I feel this right here in the scripture because the friends show up and they completely underwrite Job's spirituality. The Bible has written clearly about who he is and his friends underwrite that. They say you had to have done something that none of us know about. The Bible says you're a man of integrity. Yeah, you got to do something. They try to get him to repent. And when they show up to Job, guess what they do, Pastor? They sat on the ground. We're still on the ground. We ain't left the dirt yet. We're making diamonds. We ain't left the dirt yet. Hey, you got to thank God for being on the ground with the dirt because he's doing something right here. They show up and they sit with him for seven days and nights. We've got heat. We've got pressure. And now we got time. They sit with him for seven days and nights. God's working in the dirt. You say, well, at least he still has God. Right? At least he still has a relationship with God. At least God still loves him. Right? That's what, that's what everybody would say, right? Job doesn't feel that way. You can be religious if you want to, but I, I, I have felt this way before. The Bible says in Job 23, 8 through 10, I go east and he's not there. I go west and I can't find him. I don't see him in the north for he is hidden. I look in the south, but he's concealed. But he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out pure as gold. When he tests me, I will come out pure as gold. But I don't know if he's here. I can't find him. I hadn't felt him in a while. I go east and he ain't there. I go to church and he didn't show up. I've been that way. I did it for five years. I did not feel God move. Show up at church and it was just as dead as it could be. I'd come in a little bit late because I wasn't playing during that time. And I'd leave a little bit early. And I didn't feel him move. They'd be fell out on the floor sometimes, and they'd be rolling over the chairs, and I'd just be sitting there like this. Where you at, God? I don't see you. I look over there, and you're not there. I go down to the altar, lay hands on me. Nope, don't feel it. Job felt all alone and Lost. But I want to take a moment and shift your perspective on this story that we have heard about over and over and over again. There's a little scripture, if we're not careful, that we can overlook when we're reading through this story. It's it's a big story if you read Job all the way through. It's got a lot to it. But this one scripture right here will get you. It might change your whole perspective. I like to change your perspective on the word of God. Just a different turn, just a different look, just a different perspective. This one little scripture right here in Job chapter 3. We've got two solid chapters about how good Job was. He was a solid man. We got it. We understand. And we preach those all the time. God even declares what kind of man he is to Satan. He's blameless. He's got integrity. He does all the right things. He's wealthy. We've been introduced on the spiritual realm about what God says about him. But we haven't seen this part yet. How many of us know God is a God of expectation and expectations about to meet reality? Expectation is the breeding ground for a miracle. You want a miracle, you got to expect one. But it is also the breeding ground for destruction. If you expect it, you're going to get it. Well, what are you saying? Well, let's look right here in Job chapter three, verse 25. He's having himself a whole pity party in Job chapter three. He's just feeling down, just as low as he can go. And when you can get rid of all the stuff that's covered you up, and when you can get rid of all the mask that you've had on, and you can get rid of everything that everybody else can see, and you get down to the dirt, you'll start telling truths. 325 tells the truth. He said... What I have always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. Hold up. Job, I thought you did it as regular practice. You went to church as regular. You had church all the time, Job. You had so much money. You had it all together. Your Facebook looked good. But the whole time... The Bible's very clear if you want to read it. what I have always feared while you were sacrificing animals for your kids while you was going to church every Sunday while you were at the piano leading worship what I have always feared has happened to me what I dreaded has come true if you don't change your expectations You will disrupt your reality. What you expect involves your belief system. So I'm going to take it a bit further. What you are expecting inside deep in your heart involves your faith. And I believe sometimes, Pastor, we have more faith that we're going to go broke than we have faith that God's going to intervene in our situation. We have more faith that we're going to lose our job than we have faith that God can heal people of cancer. We got more faith that everybody's going to die in the storm than we have faith that he can move the storm. Our expectation has always been that deep inside thing that we have feared always. Where does fear come from? I hope that blows your mind because it blows mine. If you come to church expecting a move of God, you'll get one. I come to church tonight expecting to preach. I didn't care if my wife was the only one to show up. She was getting a whole message. I don't, I going not preach the same as if this room was full or if there was two people in here. I expected to come and teach tonight. If you expect church to be boring and dead, it's going to be. The issue is you get so hung up on the fact that you never expected to end up in the dirt. And all of a sudden, in reality, you feared it all along, Job. And guess where you are? In the place that you expected to be. Well, I've always been scared to lose my job. And one day you lost it. I've been there. I spent my entire life wanting to be a teacher. My entire life, I poured everything I had into it. And deep down, I was always scared to lose my job. Leading piano, scared to lose my job. Not doing anything wrong. Just simply scared to lose my job. I liked it so much I never wanted to lose it, right? I enjoyed it so much I never wanted anything to happen to it. So deep down inside, I expected to lose my job. And guess what? I lost it. I put this one in here because it ain't going to happen because she's going to change it tonight. But I've always been scared and afraid of falling off the sidewalk. My wife don't like to walk on the edge of the sidewalk because she thinks she's going to fall off. Like she's going to go tumbling down the hill. And I'm going to tell her tonight if she don't change her expectations, she's going to fall off the edge of the sidewalk. So she needs to quit expecting that she's going to fall off. (laughs) When do we get to the place that we expect more out of our situation? You may say, well, Brother Tyler, you're saying that this story that we're reading our whole lives here in the Bible, in the book of Job, is all because of Job's expectation. I'm telling you that the Job that I read about has the same dominion that you and I have that we've been given over our situations. And he reveals in this scripture here in the writing that his expectation, the thing he feared most the whole time, has ended him up in the exact place that he thought he would end up in. He feared losing it all, so he lost it all. Are you scared to lose it all, or do you trust the hand that gave it to you? See, I worshiped the hand I gave, that gave it to me, but I lacked the trust and the faith in the hand that gave it to me. Why? Because I lacked the relationship. You miss, in Job 1 and 2, the intimacy of relationship between Job and God. We don't get that insight there. We just know he was a blameless man and full of integrity. We just know he sacrificed animals and and he gave God glory. But we don't see any intimacy of relationship. Sometimes we can get to the place in our lives that we let things get out of perspective. We can make it to the place that we feel like we've arrived. And doing all of the religious stuff, doing all of the regular practices, pastor, is every time the doors are open, every Bible study, every praise team, being a deacon and a bishop and a Bible as big as a two-year-old and the sticker's on the back of your car, you got more fish on the back of your car than we got in the cooler. And you can do all of that, but still inside you fear that something's going to be taken expectation is the breeding ground for that. So we have to figure out how do I get my expectations to change? You've got to allow God to create diamonds in your life. When you help him out and you try to fix situations before they are matured in the place that they're supposed to be in your life, you will cheap yourself out of diamonds. And then you'll get scared because you're in control and he is no longer Sometimes we need a spiritual reminder. It's this place of darkness and heat and pressure that Job ends up in this test. And God ends up doing something. I don't care if it was Job's expectations or if it was God's plan from the beginning. Neither one of those things matter to me in this story. The only thing that I know is that Job goes on to the ground and is surrendering himself to the dirt. He's surrounded by the dirt and he gets up a different person. The Job we see right here is not the Job we see in just a moment. Someone say, God's making a diamond. You see, it's this place where Job starts to realize some things in his life. It's in this process of making a diamond in Job that he says things like, I know I'm going to come out on the other side. I know my redeemer lives. I want you to notice the way Job starts talking because if you read it from the beginning, he, I'm going to take you on this journey, but he really tears himself up. He talks like many of us have talked before when the heat gets too hot. We start to learn things about God through the book of Job in this diamond process. Job does some speeches. He likes to get some talking done in his book here. And, and in the first speech is awful. He's throwing himself a pity party. And the second speech is awful. He's throwing himself a pity party. He says things like, "Let the day I was born be erased." That's suicide. I wished I was never born. Old Job saying that. He continues to cry out, and we're in the like Job chapter seven right now. He says things like. I will never again feel happiness. He says that in Job chapter. Have you ever been there? Anybody ever been there? I'm just going to be real. Have you ever had a Job moment? I will never again feel happiness. Trying to settle where you are to make the dirt feel good. I'll just be fine where I am. I've been there. I never thought in a million years I'd get to work in education again. Education is my heart. I never thought in a million years. I had settled with the fact that I will just never work in education again. I've been there. I've been there since the day I was born. I, I'm just gonna take them out. I begged my wife to shoot me. I was that religious. I said, if you'll just shoot me, you can ask for forgiveness. I was messed up. I preached this from a perspective because I have been here. Like I have said these things. He says, A bitter soul must complain. Hold on, Job. We were just talking about how good you were. He said, I'd rather die. I hate my life. I don't want to go on like this. But for soon I will lie down in this dirt and die. He says it right there in Job chapter 7. He's still in the dirt. I'm so thankful he's still in the dirt. God's doing something in him because you can, as you walk through the book, you'll see that God starts to do something with the dirt. He starts to get a shift and a change in the way he talks. You can't forget he's still in the dirt in Job chapter 7. Somebody say dirt. Dirt, yeah. In Job chapter 9, we start to see a little bit of something, something happen. He's been there for a moment. When you've been there for a couple years, when you've dealt with it for a little while, when you've been under the heat and the pressure for just a little bit, a diamond starts to form. It's not quite done yet, but it's getting there. Job starts to say things like, For God is so mighty. Uh Uh-oh, Joe. Uh Uh-oh. Two chapters ago, you was wanting to die, but God's mighty now. Yeah. You stay in the dirt long enough, you'll realize who made it. You get on the ground long enough, you'll realize who made it. He starts to say things like, God is so mighty. He says things like, if he commands it, the sun won't rise. He's He's that powerful. If he tells the sun to stop, it will stop. Uh Uh-oh, Job was written first. I do believe in the Bible somewhere it tells me, Pastor, that they stopped the sun in the middle of the sky. Because if he tells it to stop, it will. For those of you that don't know anything about astrology or or stars or anything like that, he didn't move the sun. He stopped the earth. Because we rotate around the sun. That's even more powerful. He stops something that's spinning at 66,000 miles an hour, creating a gravitational force that's 9.8 meters per second squared, which is holding me and you sitting right here. And if you were to stop it scientifically, we would die, but not when he's the one that stops it because he's the one that told it to move. Job starts realizing these things. He says he's good. He made all the stars. He does great things too marvelous for us to understand in verse 10. He performs countless miracles. If he snatched one from death, who can stop him? He starts to get into this groove of speaking life to his dirt. It's one thing to speak life to a plant, but it's a whole other thing to speak life to dirt. He starts to plead his case with God. We start to see Job and God have some conversation. Now, there's some scriptures in there where all his friends got a whole lot to say about nothing. He starts to say things like, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Though he kill me, yet will I still offer up grace and hope and worship to him. His relationship with God's growing stronger than the persecution that he's facing. That's the key in making a diamond, is if your relationship can grow stronger than the problem that's coming after you. So I want to challenge you to read Job 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42 because this is probably one of my favorite sections of the Bible other than Genesis. I love it. And the reason why is because God speaks. He fills up whole chapters of nothing but him talking. He says, all y'all have had a whole lot to say about nothing, and now I'm going to speak. Job, you've had a pity party for almost 30 chapters, way too many. Hush. And I don't know where all your friends come from, but please hush. Because y'all got it all mixed up. God said, I'm going to talk. How many of you want God to talk? I want him to speak. He's a speaking God. He spoke it into existence. Job 38. He speaks out of the whirlwind. Job's still in the dirt. He ain't left the dirt. 38 chapters later, he's still in the dirt. He speaks out of the whirlwind and all of the questions that Job has asked. Why me? Why this? When is that going to happen? How much longer, God? Why did I get in this situation? God didn't answer one of them. He does not owe you one explanation for anything that he does. He is God all by himself. You can ask him why and if he so chooses to tell you, he can. But if he does not, he doesn't owe you anything. Job asked him question after question after question, and God didn't even answer him. As a matter of fact, I love this because God is such a smart aleck with these words. Go read them. I love it. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? That'll make me stop right there. God, I don't want to be ignorant when I talk to you. It says, aren't you glad that when we walked around with ignorance, saying all the things we said in our lives, talking all the mess we talked, God, please kill me. God, just let me go. God, I don't know why you did this. I've had had moments where I grit my teeth at God. I was angry. And God still speaks. I know I've offended some people in my life and they might not ever speak to me again. But my God still speaks. I'm so glad he still speaks, Pastor, whenever we we mess up in our situations. He still speaks. And he speaks with correction. He says, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? He's talking to Job. Tell me if you know so much. This is God speaking now. I like this because he does it in a a very stern way and he proves his point. You haven't been there from the beginning of time. You have no clue my plan. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the survey line? What supports its foundation? Who laid the cornerstone? Who kept the sea inside the boundaries? You see, God's telling us what he does. That's why I like it. He's telling us his glory and his power and his might. It says, as I clothed it with clouds and it wrapped, and then wrapped it in thick darkness, who tells the waves where to stop? Have you told the morning to appear? Since you know so much, tell me, he says. Who tells the light where to go and the darkness? Can you take me to their home? God is talking a boss right here. He is being a CEO of the world right in this second. He's telling, who told you, you was God? Sit down and listen. He says in verse 21, but of course you know all this, for you was born before it was all created. Being sarcastic. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow? Does the rain have a father? Can you make lightning appear? Who provides food for the raven? And I'm skipping through. There's so much more to this, and I challenge you to go read it. I want you to know that God's revealing himself in a mighty way. He goes on and on and on through the books of of 38, 39, and 40. And he, he tells Job, and he gets Job to this place where he reveals himself to Job. That's where the diamond takes place right there. Job gets an intimate view of God, an established relationship. I'm so glad you had all you had before, Job, and you did your regular practices, and that was good, and it was cute, and everybody loved it, and it was a good example. And you were a man of integrity, and you are a man of integrity, but you're going to listen to who I am in your life. And then Job says in verse 4, of chapter 40 I am nothing how could I ever find the answers he says I will cover my mouth with my hand I have already said too much sometimes we say too much God is working a process in your life and your opinion is completely irrelevant to what his plan is if you will just hold on it gets better. The Lord answers again and he continues to talk about all that he is and all of his power and all of his might. He's showing Job who he is. God doesn't have an identity issue. We do. God knows who he is. We have to figure out who he is. If you will learn who you are, nothing can stop you. Nothing can get in your way if you will learn who you are because you're created in his image and there is nothing that stops him. That's what he's saying here. If you'll realize who I am, who your creator is, who tells all this stuff, these acres of diamonds around you that you've overlooked. You see, Job, the reason why he's using all this is because Job has overlooked those things. He's walked by the ocean 15 times and not looked down and saw, wow. God tells it to stop right there. When Job finds himself in the dirt and depressed and down and battling and want to die, he gets himself to the place that God speaks and he listens. God is in the process of making this diamond in Job. And we see in Job 42, he says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. And here's the part right there. This is the part I love. He says in verse 6, I think it's chapter 42, I take back everything I said. That's repentance. I turn. That's repentance. I turn away from everything that I said. I take back everything I said. And it says, I sit in the dust and ashes. In other words... I repent and I sit right here in this dirt because you are God. And this is where we see grace. This is where we see diamond. God says, I'm going to bless you because you held on. I'm going to bless you with what my plan was from the original conversation. I let one escape. I planned on keeping some around. I'm going to bless you. And his latter was greater than his former. Yes, I do see that. But I like this because it says the second half of his life. The moment that we find Job in the second half of his life, we don't get any scripture after this. All we know is that everything was replaced and doubled and tripled and quadrupled. And and he just had abundance upon abundance upon abundance. We see all of that. He gave him seven more sons and daughters. He lived, the Bible says, another 140 years and saw four generations. It ends with he lived a happy and full life. The acre of diamond and that is, I promise you, if we had Job chapter 43, that Job would speak completely different than Job chapter 1. Because he knows the God that got him from the dirt to the diamond. He has realized who God is in intimacy. He stayed in the dirt. Until God was through speaking. If you try to get yourself out too early, you will cheat yourself of everything God is trying to do. If you will allow the heat, pressure, and time to work together, you get a diamond in the end. Job chapter 43 is not in the Bible. But I like to think about Job chapter 43. What does this Job look like? How does this one talk? The Bible just ends with he lived a full life. Full life can only happen when you know God. A full life can only happen when you've been experiencing God on the level where he speaks directly to you. And you have to hush. You see, Job would be tougher. I like to think about this one in Job chapter 43 that's not in the Bible. I'm going to say that for clarity because they got me on the internet and they'll be posting me all over there for false prophecy. So I'm going to say it for clarity. Job chapter 43 that's not in the Bible would read something like, There is no weapon that formed against me that can prosper because I've been there. This Job would be tougher than the last one. This Job would have resilience and clarity and cut like a real diamond would. This Job right here, you could see him from wave. This Job? No, you. I wished a demon would rise up against this Job. This Job right here got to experience the God of all creation and literally got to talk with him. And a demon wants to rise up? I wish you would. The devil left Job alone whenever he was in Job chapter 43. And I feel that because Job makes it to the place where You can't come against him anymore and make him fall and get to that place. He'll worship from the dirt. Take it. I've lost it before. I'll do it again. I'll shout from the dirt. I wish you would try to take it. I'll praise God with nobody. I will shout in the doctor's room. I will give God glory at a funeral. I've seen people do it. God will use your dirt to make a diamond. Stand with me, if you will. Philippians 1 and 12. And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, I like it when a sentence is that clear in the Bible, everything that has happened to me. has helped me to spread the good news that's your purpose that's your purpose spreading the good news i want to challenge you this week to get ingrained into a relationship with god where no matter if you're in the dirt Or if you're a diamond, you know your Redeemer lives. You know the Creator intimately. Pastor and I were talking a little bit this week. And we believe that prayer is the only thing that will change the church. And will change us because we are the church. Prayer is the only thing that will change our lives and our situations conversation with god if you go on and read a little bit further god is having a conversation with him and he says now i'm gonna get you three friends and bring them over here so you can pray for them because we got to get their sins covered they didn't even know what they was talking about but we're gonna get their sins covered god's talking god is speaking and still asks job to pray because prayer is conversation back with god it's not always just asking So I want us to end, and it can be just as long as you want it to be. I want us to end in in prayer. I want us to end in a moment of prayer. You can find a place anywhere in this room. You can find a place at the altar. I want you to be able to just have a moment and pray with the Father. Just commune with him and let him speak. You hush and let him speak. And what I mean by that is pray with an open heart and receive what he has for you. So as, as I make my way to the piano, I'm going to play a little bit, if, if that's okay, and, and pray from there because I like to pray at the piano. But I, I just want you to find a place. Is that okay, Pastor? Just find a place to, to pray and, and commune with God. And when you're done, we love you and we'll see you on Sunday. But I I want you to just have a a moment to to pray and, and to worship.